0: Hi, I'm Amanda. And I'm Rebecca, and this is Full Plate, Full Cup. We're startup leaders turned executive coaches who believe that you
1: deserve to be wildly successful and wildly happy. We interview trailblazing entrepreneurs, business leaders, and creatives so you can peek behind the curtain of how they got where they are today and start carving your own path towards success. Each episode
0: shares personal stories as well as actionable takeaways that you can apply to begin living a more
1: joyful and fulfilling life. Join us to learn how to scale your business, harness your power, and fill your cup. If you like what you hear, subscribe, leave a review, and
0: share with a friend. Thanks for listening. It feels like you are actually speaking. Like It actually feels like we're out to lunch and we're having a conversation and you're talking like you normally would, but it's just written down on paper for everyone to read and experience it's it's just so authentically you and who you are which is really hard for people to do like I don't think I've ever experienced a a person that I know like that in book form before
2: thank you so much that means so much to me first of all just I'm like I'm all twitter painted now um just because obviously I think it's amazing for any author to hear that someone enjoys their work and likes their book, especially you know when it's friends, it's people that you care about. Um, but I think that for this type of book, um, part of the reason why that's so meaningful to me is because we've all read the self-help advice adjacent books where it feels like someone is talking at you, not with you, or it feels mm. sort of like the same Phrase is recycled over and over and over again, every single oh, yeah. chapter, you know, like you're kind of just, oh, yeah, for an entire book. Um, And I really, really wanted this to feel like something, not just like, oh, I wanted it to feel like me, but I wanted it to feel like something that people could have their own relationship with. Like this book is going to hopefully, fingers crossed, have a lifespan and a longevity way beyond my own career, just like me in general. And so that means so much that it feels like it's something that you now have your own relationship with, you know?
0: Yeah. It's so good. And the other thing I'll say before we dive in is that I am the world's, like, I am such a slow reader. Like Amanda knows it will take me six months to get through a book. And it was such a fast read for me, which is huge like it was enjoyable and fast and there were stories and quotes and cool ideas and I was like let's keep this going so that's slow readers out there this book is also for you and it won't take you six super
2: high compliment
0: to get yeah. through right I mean even the fast <laughs> readers I feel
2: like we've also all been there where we're like I feel like I'm a faster reader than this and yeah. it shouldn't be taking so long. It's the book's fault. <laughs> yeah, <it's>, I, think,
1: <laughs> I like to blame <explaining laughs> the book. <laughs> I know I Rebecca mean, I mean, will literally give me books back that I've loaned her. She's like, it's just, it's not going to happen. Take it back, <laughs> sweetie. <laughs> I
2: mean, it's kind of like relationships with people, right? Like sometimes yeah. you go give on. The book back. <laughs> Yeah. Or like you go on a friend date and someone is like, oh my gosh, I think that you and so-and-so are, are really going to hit it off and you just don't click. And it's like, it's nobody's fault. It just, it just wasn't a fit. You know, you're just not on the same wavelength, but I'm so happy that want yourself is on the same wavelength as you both.
0: Yes. So Katie, we're so stoked to have you on the full plate, full cup podcast. Yay. So welcome. Welcome. Uh, I'm going to read an intro about you and then we're going to dive right in. So Katie Horwich is a writer, speaker, mindset, coach, and activist. She is the founder of Want, Women Against Negative Talk, a platform that provides tips, tools, motivation, and inspiration to move forward in your life by shifting your self-talk patterns. Katie has been featured by South by Southwest, Lululemon, The Cut. Mind Body Green, Live Strong, and more has coached some of the world's most prominent brands and leaders on building confidence and creating impact, and has been praised by CNN as "quote women empowering others around the world." And I could not have put it better myself, Katie. We're so excited to have you here, and you recently had us on your podcast, The One Cast. So. You started off that interview asking us to introduce each other, which we both thought was so fun and cool. So I'm going to flip the script a little bit. I would love if you can ask in the spirit of shifting our self-talk, what are three things that make you special that you also just like love about yourself?
2: Oh, I love that question. That's amazing. And also I am so thrilled to be here and to sort of bookend. I've had a big month of of travel and press and book lead up and sort of like bookend the, the month with you both is just so special. Um, speaking of special, some things that I think are special about myself that I particularly um, enjoy or appreciate. I am a naturally enthusiastic person. I am someone who also used to be a little bit self-conscious about that because I think sometimes it could come off as not as genuine as maybe people expected someone who is hashtag authentic to be. Sometimes it felt like I, I didn't know if people would perceive me as this sort of like Pollyanna type personality where everything is just sunshine and rainbows And for me, my brand of enthusiasm is really aligned with my definition of positivity, which we talked about on the WANTcast, and Amanda called it out in particular, that my brand of positivity is all about being proactive, not reactive. And that's how I approach my enthusiasm as well. It's not about just being openly excited about all of the things. It's about finding the things out there to be excited about because there really is a lot to be excited about um, and to cheerlead and just move forward and say, okay, well, what do we do about that? Which leads to the second thing. I'm a naturally curious person. And I think that that has been both a personal and professional strength, also an interpersonal strength when it comes to my friendships, when it comes to uh, my romantic relationships throughout my life and you know my relationship with my husband now. I have a desire to not just know the inner workings of things, but sort of see it through all different types of angles, because we're all different people having different experiences on this earth. And I really don't believe that anything is one size fits all. And so when you sort of take that as maybe the most universal truth, that there is no universal truth out there, Then you get to start to dig in and sort of like be this detective of the world and your own life experience of, you know, how, why do I experience the things that I experience in the ways that I do? How are other people experiencing that? And how can we, again, move forward together collectively towards something that is better and greater for us all? Which leads to the third thing that I love about myself um, is that I, really try, I don't always get it right, but I try to be as community focused as I am individual focused, which I found is sometimes a, a delicate dance, especially in the line of work that I do when I deal with self-talk, negative self-talk. I define self-talk as the story you are telling yourself about yourself as you walk through the world. So there's like a lot of self wording in there. I really love that my natural inclination is to think about the self and the community, not as these two separate worlds or as even like a Venn diagram. It's, it's a complete circle. You know, what we do affects not only what we're ourselves going to do next and next and next and next, but what everybody else is going to do as well. We have no idea the impact that we are making on strangers as we walk by them in the street. Um, and I really love that that's something that I, again, don't always get right, but I naturally keep top of mind.
0: That last one, Amanda and I were having a conversation, I think on Friday, Amanda, when we were talking about like, if you post to social media, right? Like we're on LinkedIn and Instagram and people will reach out to us fairly regularly that we've never heard of. They've never engaged. And they'll be like, this thing that you said on this day impacted me in this way. And thank you for saying it, right? Like you never know who you are impacting with your enthusiasm, with your eye to community, with your message, right? And so I think it's it's so important. I I love that point. And I think it's important for people to know to just be you, do your thing and keep going because the ripple effect that you absolutely have, not even that you might have, but that you do have in the world, you could never possibly know what it what it is and what it looks like. So in your book, Want Yourself, which when this episode airs will be available to the whole world and we cannot recommend it enough. You've told so many stories about how you got into this work because really it's our you know relational and cultural experiences and expectations that teaches to negatively self talk in the first place so is there one story that you can share to help listeners understand kind of your early days that led you to where you are and what you're doing today
2: yeah absolutely you know i was thinking about it the other day and the shortest answer that i think that i can give to what led me here and led me to the work that I'm doing is that I got really angry. I got really angry and I got really frustrated. Um, And that's because I saw that people, women in particular, were getting a very, very limited tool set when it came to dealing with this negative self-talk which includes fear, doubt, jealousy, all of the stuff that we say to ourselves, think to ourselves, feel to ourselves. We were basically being told to build a house and we were given a hammer and that was it. That usually came in the form that hammer, so to speak, were positive affirmations and mantras. I realized that this was happening and that this was actually a problem. In the early 2000s, I struggled with an eating disorder, many body-related, mental health-related issues. And what I was struggling with, what I realized, it came down to my feeling of wanting to be this person that I didn't know how to be and wasn't seeing it modeled for me. So I was in college and I wanted to be a smart responsible adult and I was taking cues from the people around me the media around me the subtle and not so subtle messages on what that meant and in the early 2000s that meant um, that meant not only dieting over exercising all of that but it really meant that you were bonding with other people other women in particular over negativity and there's a negativity bias to that right like we self-deprecate to relate we can latch on to negative things about ourselves or that other people are saying and be like "Ooh, that's sticky that feels emotionally heightened and heavy that gives me something to sink my teeth into and and our brain registers that as important And I realized that I had gotten to the place that I was at in my early 20s at that point in time because I had not only internalized all of these messages from the people around me, but I had also drawn my own conclusions from all the things that were left unsaid. And this was when the sort of body acceptance movement was starting to gain traction in the media and in commercials in general. And, uh, or specifically, and I remember that I saw a commercial that was basically at the very end of it saying like, love yourself, you're beautiful, which was amazing. And at the time, like we didn't hear a lot of that in the early two thousands, same time. I thought what happens when I can't just tell myself that I love myself and I'm beautiful. What happens when I can't look at the mirror and say a positive phrase about myself and like, great, all better, because this is years and years and decades in the making. And so I kind of felt like everyone was getting shortchanged and being duped by thinking this one thing, these mantras, these affirmations would fix everything. And I'm a big fan of mantras and affirmations, just to be clear. But again, they're one tool in your tool set. And that anger started to, uh, started to pique my curiosity. And I thought, why isn't there a place where people and women in particular can get multiple tips, tools, motivation, inspiration to shift their negative self-talk patterns. And it was like an Oprah aha moment. If I had been a cartoon, there would have been a light bulb over my head. And I thought, I'm going to start something and it's going to give women tips, tools motivation, inspiration to shift their negative self-talk patterns. And it's going to be called want women against negative talk. And that was in 2007. I realized later because it sort of fizzled out. And then I brought it back in 2014, 15, I realized that I had had the idea that I so needed myself. And so that is what actually sparked me to go on this journey of looking into what is this self-talk stuff and how do we actually shift it in a real lasting way that people can tailor to their own lives and their own stages of their
1: lives. I love that so much. And the the first thing I want to say, that light bulb moment at Full, cu- full Plate, Full Cup, we call that a soul ping. Mm-hmm. It's like a little knock from your soul that says, hey, do this, please, please don't forget about me, right? And, and what's so beautiful about the way that you've shared it is like, when they come, right, these soul pings, these aha moments, it's not like, here's your 15 year business plan. There you go, sweetheart. No, it's like, it's like this little nudge that comes that goes that comes. But the important thing is, if it goes, it comes back, right? It's not going away when it's a soul ping versus just like, a good idea, right? So you've been doing this work, this speaking, writing, coaching about self talk for like, 15 years, which is incredible. And, uh, you know, you kind of shared the the light bulb moment that got you into it, but I'd love to hear, you know, when you were starting out trying to create a uh, unique impact and a name for yourself. I'm sure there were a lot of hurdles or, or challenges that maybe uh pushed up against this sort of bright, shiny uh mission statements, uh so to speak, that you had come up with. And we'd love to hear about those because I think a lot of people um have this idea that once you've come up with the This is my idea, then it's just like, woohoo, smooth sailing from there on out. And we obviously know that that is not the case. So talk to us about the early days of want and perhaps why it faded out and then came back, because that's also uh, very interesting to me.
2: Mm, Yeah, such a great question. So I think that the main thing, the main reason why it fizzled out, so to speak, in the first iteration, which Know now looking back, I'm like, actually, it didn't fizzle out. I was just doing all of all of the all of the research. I was just doing all of the internal work and I was also learning, you know, I was doing other jobs and learning the technical know-how of what I was eventually going to, you know, just go full force with later. I think the first thing is that I was not completely sure what I knew and what I didn't know. And for me. I am really, really married to my sense of integrity, which I define as when your impact and your intent align. Mm-hmm. And so intent doesn't really mean anything if you're not getting the impact on others that aligns with it. Um, and sort of like, but I meant this to be whatever, That that is not a valid excuse in my book. Like if you are not getting the impact and you learn that, then you pivot. Yeah, tweak. Um, exactly. <laughs> um, and it's really hard to do that when you're not quite sure what it is that you stand behind in the first place. And so that meant that I needed to do a lot more research. I needed to. Uh, do my own work on myself. I am a very, very big fan of many people have said this. I did not make this up writing and working from the scar, not the wound. Um, Yeah. Because I think that that is something that it can really, when we're talking about impact uh, versus intent, it can really sort of tease those apart in a way that we don't want. um, If we are writing from that place of really trying to heal ourselves and there is a beauty in that and in that shared experience but when you are trying to help people shift you've got to be honest with yourself about the shifts that you're actually making to begin with so that in the very very early days was the hardest thing and then when i started to realize you know years down that this was actually something that that had not only stronger legs than I gave it credit for at the beginning, but that I was I was ready to start um, building it in the way that I had always wanted to build it. The biggest thing that, and I did a whole chapter on this in the book, the biggest thing that I came up against that was hard for me was other people's stuff. And it was particularly other people's stuff around their own self-talk and them making sort of caveats to me before they said something and being like, I know that you're the negative self-talk person, but, and sort of thinking that, um, and these were people who were very close to me, thinking that because we had a close relationship that the rules, quote unquote, so to speak, of my work didn't apply to them. Mm. And so what that ended up doing for me is made what that ended up doing for me is it made me feel like, well, maybe, maybe what I'm doing actually isn't that impactful. Maybe what I'm doing isn't actually going to work or like help people at all because it's not helping these people over here. That's where my brain went. Um, when in reality they were still working through their own process. And Now, what I would say to myself is like, oh, no, 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 not just like, don't worry about those people. But this is actually a great thing. They're calling out that they have negative self-talk and they recognize it to begin with. So if they haven't gotten to the place where they're able to like, make that shift in real time, or work even have sort of the self-trust to work through it in real time, and they're making these sort of like, Um, they're asking for exceptions from you. And it's not because of you. It's not because you're not doing the good work. You're actually, you're doing your work and the people who maybe it's hardest for, they're listening. And that's a great thing. But that was something that got me really, really stuck at the beginning.
1: Yeah. That's such an important lesson for anyone who is putting themselves out into the world as a coach, a teacher, a mentor, a guide, right? It's that. Uh, people will receive a message when it, when it is their time, when they're ready for it. I'm reading a book by Elizabeth Lesser right now, who's the founder of Omega Institute, right? Like OG of spiritual counseling. And uh, she talks about how um, in the early days of her leading workshops, she had the same thing where if like three people were like, I don't really think this makes sense. Or what are you talking about? Or this doesn't apply to me. Those are the people who like 10 years later come back and are like on her lap crying because it cracked open a little part of them that was like too painful to see at that point. But years down the line, right, it was like that little crack that they were uh, not ready to open yet. And that's Mm -hmm. okay. It's not a mark on you or the teaching. It's just like, God, the shit I do now, if I had tried to do it when I was 22, it would have been like, nope, we are not a match. We are not aligned. You are not ready for that, girl. So in your book, you say that you've been told that your career is, quote, unquote, all over the place. Um, You do (laughs) lots of things, lots of different things. And what would you say to someone who's similar to you, has lots of aspirations, lots of things that they want to do, and is being told that they need to niche down in order to be successful?
0: The term niche down,
2: it used to make me frustrated and now it just makes me laugh. Like, uh-huh, it's, it's garbage. It's, yeah, it's just like, it's so silly. It's so silly because also, like, what a niche is and what niche th- as an adjective is, like, it's so subjective. And so I think recognizing that first and foremost is really important. Like, in the very early days of shopping the book proposal, I was told by a literary agent who is not my agent now. Um this agent said that they thought that the topic of negative self-talk was too niche. And I was like, Wow. Eh? What? Like, don't you think it's the opposite of that? Like we we all deal with it. So, first of all, niche is just it's silly. But I completely understand, especially the way that the world is sort of engineered now, I understand this desire to be like, I want to find my thing and my specific thing and be incredible at it. And what I would say is I I tell people to, and it's again, in the book, I find that it's much more helpful in the long run to find what i call your through line and it's the common theme in everything you love and the common goal in everything you do and once you find that and it sort of goes um hand in hand with um you have a wonderful wonderful exercise which i've seen you do in real life in person in your workshops when it comes to creating your uh, purpose statement and finding purpose through line and purpose they are Like they're like best friend cousins and they go hand in hand. And once you're able to dial that in, then it sort of seems like, oh, I'm not doing as many things as I thought. It's just that my through line is being expressed in many different areas. And that not only I found can lead people to feel a sense of being just more grounded in who they are. It can lead to less negative self-talk because a lot of times negative self-talk can be a filler for a sense of direction, um, and it also makes it a little not easy, but easier, a little bit easier to dip your toes in and out and sort of figure out well who am I right now and what what is most aligned with me in this moment because if I sort of have this this buffet of options that all fall under the through line that I've created for myself, I get to choose what I'm going to use to nourish myself and what I'm going to really invest in, in this moment. And it's like, it's all coming from the same place, you know? Love that.
0: Yeah. I love the, I love the word through line, right? Because it almost invites this, like, creativity and sense of freedom and expansion, right? That you can find the commonalities between the things that you love and and your passions and your interests, but that can also look like anything and it can lead you anywhere, right? Which is actually Mm -hmm. quite liberating. So Katie, again, you do many things. I've been to your spin class. I mean, chef's kiss, forget about it. But something that you've been doing for a really long time is writing. And now you finally have a book in the world called to Yourself. When we grabbed lunch recently, you told me about how you said no to some initial publishing offers that looked very different from the book that we see today because you knew in your gut that they weren't right and that there was something bigger, better, more you waiting for you. So That's a very intuitive move, especially for a first-time author, right? Because I imagine like, if you've been a writer for the past decade plus, book offers are coming at you. It can be really tempting to just kind of grab at the first thing, but you chose to trust your intuition. So what tools do you personally use to both tap into and or strengthen your intuition?
2: Oh, first, the people I surround myself with. I think it's really hard to develop, I don't want to even say a strong sense of intuition or even trust in the intuition, but it's, it's really hard to put it into practice often. If you are surrounded by people who are doing everything from offering up their advice when it's not asked to, um, giving sort of their take on what they would do in a certain situation. Um, I think that being able to know who I share, what information with is probably one of my biggest tools. Um, and that is something that I've learned the hard way. Multiple Amen. Times,
1: like Amen. Still, Amen. Still learning
2: it, right? Like it's it's a process where, you know, and also some people, maybe some people are that person for you professionally, but they're not that person for you personally. And for me, I've learned, you know, who I I'm someone who a lot of times, if I'm feeling very conflicted about something or I'm like really trying to dig in and say, okay, what is what is my intuition? What is my knowing telling me in this moment? I'm someone who does need to process out loud a little bit. And I've learned that it is very important to be able to know who is on the other side of that processing, whether it's a therapist, a friend. In the case that Rebecca said, it was my literary agent who I just adore and has really taught me that it pays to go with your gut. And she's, um, a little more of a risk taker than I am, which I think that's also important is to have people who are on your side and who are rooting for you, who are going to encourage you to go with your intuition when it's scary to, um, that, I mean, I feel like this is what I've been going through so much lately. So that's, it's not in the book, but it's top of mind for me that it's really important to know who gets the who gets the the deepest, like most still moldable part of you, yeah. I don't know if
0: that's the answer. No, it's it's such a great answer. So we, we call that opinion shopping, right? That especially when you have a decision to make or many options that are on the table, it can feel so tempting to go around and talk to everyone and ask what they think, right? Almost because you want that like validation that your intuition already knows what to do. And so I think choosing which people you talk to, which people you let in, which people you ask is so wise, right because you want to choose the ones that both know you have your best interests at heart and are going to kind of like enable you to actually make the decision for themselves right that whatever they share they're sharing without any type of attachment to it mm-hmm. so so you know we're obsessed with your book and we have so many questions um but music, music that's music music to my soul Katie we could have we could we could talk for hours about your book but you know, something foundational is that you say that shifting your self-talk has two parts. The first part is shifting the self. And then the second part is shifting the talk. So it's kind of like how we say, like, if you have listened to the podcast, we always say that, you know, self-care has two parts. The first part is to get your shit together. And the second part is to do all the self-care stuff. So why is it so important to shift yourself before shifting your self-talk?
2: The short answer is that the talk is symptomatic. And it's the self that's underneath all of that. So what I have found really, really interesting through my research, I found that there are people who don't experience an inner monologue and they, I know, I know Rebecca's face right now is, is I'm like, yeah, it's my reaction. (laughs) That's all I do all day long. Exactly. Like, remember Cl- Clarissa explains it all. Oh yeah. Like, where she would. Yeah, I grew up thinking that that was like a a biopic. Like that was that was my story. Where I just felt like I had this monologue going on all of the time. And some people don't experience that. So, and some people experience both. Some people experience their self talk as actual talk. Some people experience it as. Feelings Or images. Some people have described it like it's a movie playing out in their mind. And many of us experience a combination of both, even if we're dominant in one over the other. And so what ends up happening is, especially for those people or those instances where you're not, you're not having an internal monologue about something, what ends up happening is if we have these strong feelings or images, we attach the closest possible word that we can think of. And usually it's what we talked about before, like those more emotionally heavy words. I hate this. This is so bad. I'm so awful at this. And it's maybe actually something that is completely unrelated. Maybe there's actually a wound or you know, I'm very careful about the use of this word, but it's it is very true for many people, a trauma that is underneath whatever is going on for you that you know is being is being poked at in that moment. Maybe it's a feeling that you're feeling that you felt at some other point in time that someone said something to you and it made you feel uncomfortable. Like whatever words or phrases we're attaching to the feelings or experiences that we're having. They're telling such a small, small portion of the story. And so in the book, I talk a lot about your self-told story and your self-talk story. And when you shift from thinking, I need to replace one word with another word and go to, okay, well, let's dig into this self part. Then you start to get to those deeper things and that deeper information because I also believe that self talk isn't inherently good or bad. It's information. It's what we do with that information and how we feel with it that, you know, determines what we do next and next and next and next. When we can dig into that information, that's when we start to make those shifts that maybe we didn't even know we wanted to shift in the first place. And it ends up giving us more sustainable tools and a more Self trusting way of walking through the world that doesn't say, okay, well, I'm never going to have negative self talk again, or even like negative self talk is bad. It ends up creating this strong base of self that recognizes I am a human, not a robot. Therefore, I am going to go through a wide range of human feelings and experiences. And starting with the self really helps you get to that place where you can say, okay, how can I be proactive, not reactive in this moment as I move forward fearlessly?
0: Hey, Full Plate, Full Cup fam. If you're building a business or you're about to build one, you need to check out Female Founder World. It's the place to meet your business besties online and in person. They host events all over the world with the biggest
1: female founders check out their free community at www.femalefounderworld.com. That's www.f-e-m-a-l-e-f-o-u-n-d-e-r-w-o-r-l-d.com to get access to the people, experiences, and the tools that you really need to build your dream business. Happy building. Uh, what I love <laughs> what you shared about your research, and this is a weird place as my brain goes, but I'm going to share it because that's what I do. You know, you mentioned that um, you know in your research, like people experience their self talk uh, very differently. The Yoga Sutras, right, which is like the foundational text of yoga. The very first thing it says is "Yoga Chitta Vritti Nirodha," which means yoga is the cessation of the fluctuations of the mind. Right, like the whole premise of the ancient you know, practice of yoga and not just like the poses, but like the whole freaking thing, all eight limbs, the meditation, the concentration, all of it is like, this was thousands of years ago, right? If I tell you the year it was written, I'll be wrong. My my yoga uh, teacher training knowledge is not that cemented. Um, but like, this is something that people have been dealing with since the beginning of brains, probably. And so I think it's, it's for people who, some people like to see things very clinically, right? The science, the data, and other people um who are more perhaps on the spiritual path, the yogis, the woo-woo among us might be like, Oh, like this isn't in the box that I like things to fit in. But in reality, like they're all saying the same thing, right? We need to be very mindful of our minds because those fluctuations are coming. They're not necessarily good or bad, but they are fluctuating, and we need to be um, you know, in the spiritual sense, they'd say the observer, right? The observer so that we can make decisions. Um, anyway, thank you for indulging that tangent.
2: (laughs) Yeah, no, and you're right. I mean, people have been learning how to and grappling with how to human since they became humans, like since they were not, I don't know, like, like amoebas and fish in the ocean, like, once we became human, we started to experience what that means. And I can only imagine that even in the earliest, earliest times, like those core things that make us human still existed, maybe in a different form, but it is, it's about learning how to, and whether you go through a clinical route or a more spiritual route or a combination of the two, like it's about figuring out what works for you and what resonates for you and recognizing that, um, you know, you can build your toolkit your way. And that's something that I think it's it's a um, life's work.
1: Absolutely. Well, I want to read a really beautiful quote from the book. So it says, we are who we believe ourselves to be. That belief system is based in and around our internally told story. My theory is that self-talk is what we make of it. We're just taught to make it something that ultimately doesn't serve us. So I think a lot of us hearing that, we're like, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, but what are some tips? Like, how do we unlearn the way that we've been taught to sort of process or, you know, exist with our self-talk?
2: Yeah, it's, first of all, that's the first time that the book has been been read out loud to me. So I just got a little teary there. Um, so I need to collect myself for a moment. Um, Okay. We're good. First, I would encourage people, if you're anything like me, you want to jump straight to the unlearning. And I would encourage people to trust that they're going to get there and take a beat and first recognize this didn't just come out of nowhere. This is something, this is a language that I have basically become fluent in throughout the course of my life. And so becoming fluent in a new language is not going to happen overnight. I always tell people to think back if there's like a negative self-talk phrase or feeling that is coming up over and over again, and you're like, gosh, whether it's self-doubt or fear Enough, enoughness is something that I hear a lot from people. Like, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I always ask people to get curious as to where they might have heard or experienced that for the first time. So, I'm not saying that everyone had a moment where it was like this fork in the road moment where they either could have felt enough or not enough. And someone said something to them. It could be as subtle as, oh, I think that when I, when I would watch TV shows, I would see that all of the, the female characters who were confident were also portrayed as the villains. And I wonder if somewhere along the way, like that made me think that confidence was synonymous with narcissism or vanity. It could be something like that, something as subtle as like, these little things that we've seen over and over again, or the ways that like we talked about earlier, we've learned how to bond with the people in our lives. And so I always tell people to look at the look at the self-talk and look at what the information might be underneath it. Um, and I actually have something that's on the website right now um, for pre-orders. And then when the book is out. um, I'm going to offer it to people in some way. It's a workbook that helps people get ready to want yourself, if you will. And it is a way for people to sort of dial in on these phrases. And maybe they're actually even so-called good phrases. Maybe you've been told that you are amazing your entire life. And maybe that's actually started to create a sense of um, like a worth disconnect for you, that you are only worthy, you are only enough if you check these boxes, if you are extraordinary. I think that that's something that I experience in my work with my clients, with my listeners. I'm sure that you too experience that with your clients, where when we have have this sort of um, history of being a high achiever or someone who does things really well, it can be risky to stray from that identity or even allow yourself space to be fine, to be okay. So if people want to start to shift, I always tell people like start to actually listen to what you're saying or feel what you're feeling and get curious as to where that might have come from in the first place.
0: And go download your free workbook and Mm -hmm. buy your book. I got you, girl. All right. So, so we all know someone who speaks negatively about themselves and it can be really difficult to watch as an outsider, especially if it's someone that we love. So how can we support people in our lives who we see speaking negatively to themselves and we see it having an adverse effect on them in one way or another?
2: The biggest thing, I mean, first, I don't want, I don't want to answer your question of like, How do we help these people with here's what not to do? Um, However, I would say, I think that especially with the people that we love the most, it can be really easy or tempting to negate whatever they're saying, you know, and say, oh no, but you're beautiful. You're amazing. I think that the biggest and best thing that we can do, not only for each other, but for ourselves is to allow each other space to feel whatever is coming up um, and allow space for a wide breadth of emotions to exist and then start to get curious with those people and like go on the journey with them. And like we talked about before, everybody is on their own timeline. There might be resistance that comes up. There might be um, you know coping mechanisms that come up when things feel a little too tough. Helping someone else also shift their self talk, um, it inadvertently helps you shift your own self talk. I think the biggest thing is that there's a difference between allowing someone and yourself to not just feel your fer- feelings and experience your experience, experience it as as the truth of the moment. There's a difference between that and bonding over negativity. And I think starting to tease those apart is really, really important. And that work starts actually before the negative self-talk of your friend or yourself actually comes to light in the first place. Making a choice when there are not just neutral times, but when things are great, like self-deprecating in a moment of celebration because you're telling yourself well I just want to be more relatable to this person like that is actually cementing the negative self-talk that you want to shift or you say you want to shift that's what's cementing it in your brain because that's you practicing the fluency of
1: that language you know can we uh, we're we're getting close to time <laughs> so we could talk to you all day but I want to I want you to just zero in on self-deprecation um, because Rebecca and I both coach very successful people, um, people that are far along in their career. And I have noticed that, you know, even very successful people are still using self-deprecation as a um as a strategy. And I, I'm curious, like it's a little bit different than self-talk, because usually that's something that you're saying out loud to other people. If you are with somebody, right? And they say something self-deprecating, like, oh, what? I mean, oh, it's awful. But what is something that you can say to them in that moment that validates them, right? That isn't like, you're crazy, you're beautiful, right? Isn't that sort of like negation that you mentioned, but is starting to be like, it's a, like like what do you say like it's okay for you to shine around me or what's something that you can say that kind of lets people know that hey this is a safe space to like shine your light and be big yeah i think
2: that it's really interesting it happens a lot with women first of all and it happens a lot in moments of celebration and it's like if we can't if we can't celebrate and be as fully self embodied as possible and as confident and self trusting as possible in the big celebratory moments like how can we ever ever expect that we're going to be able to drum that up in the moments that are hardest and so i think you know what i experience this most in is is when it comes to people who are dealing with um sorting that sort of that discomfort of success and that discomfort of celebration. And I think it depends on your relationship with the person, whether it's a personal relationship, professional, if this is your partner, whatever. But sometimes I'll say things like, "Oh no, we we celebrate big in this house." And so I want to hear all of it. And I think that a lot of times people people can self-deprecate because they are nervous about how their bigness and sense of enoughness will translate. And I mean, we've all heard people sort of gossiping or shit talking other people throughout our lives. Not to say that like we hear it all of the time, depending on who we surround ourselves with. Maybe we hear it more in certain groups than we do others, but this is something that i think a lot of us we're, we're smarter than we give ourselves credit for and we know in the back of our minds that there is a possibility that somebody could take whatever we're throwing out there and then go talk smack about us or gossip about us behind our backs and so i think that if we've learned that if we say it first if we self-deprecate first then that means it's going to hurt way less when we hear someone else do it because we've acknowledged it first right so i think that also telling people outright it's hard to tell people outright that they're amazing they're awesome all of that and put it on them i say put it on yourself i say make it clear to people that you are a safe enthusiastic um Active participant in their celebration. Because if they don't know that, then they're more likely to sort of dance around that good stuff. But if they know that this is a place where they can be as celebratory or as um, you know, as as Oprah says, full of themselves as possible and you know, full plate, full cup. And if you are so full of yourself. You want to be so full of yourself. So as Oprah says, you can be overflowing and help fill other people's cups. Um, Like making sure that they know that you're a space where they Mm -hmm. can be that person. I love that. That does so much. It does so much.
1: Yeah, we celebrate big in this house. Sister. We celebrate big <laughs> I in this house. That. I
0: want like <laughs> I want to get one of those cheesy home signs that goes above your door that that, that, that says, on this, it. This is a celebration right. station. And one of those crazy. things that like it looks antique but really yep. new. You Live, know, laugh, right. love. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> so, <clears throat> speaking of celebrating, and and then we're gonna get into the rapid fire because we do need to wrap this show up. But what is your Greatest hope for your book being out in the world. Let's manifest this together.
2: Mm. My greatest hope for this book being out in the world is that it is a book that people people keep with them and keep referring to through multiple stages of their life. I, I, like I said at the beginning, or maybe we said it off off the air—I forget—but um, this is something that I really do hope that this book is is uh, a companion, uh, uh, a big sibling, if you will, that can support support you when you need it, and also makes you feel like, oh yeah, I'm I've got this, I'm good, and I don't need this book or this person to, you know, really feel that strong sense of self. But when I feel like maybe I'm losing my way, like I'm going to come back to this. So I really hope that it can be supportive, compassionate companion for people through their high highs, low lows. And, you know, is a book that people want to gift to other people who are important in their lives.
0: I love that for you. I love that for this book. And again, I cannot recommend it enough. So Katie, we have a few rapid fire questions we ask all of our guests. First one, what is one tip for working smart?
2: Working smart. Working smart means knowing and honoring your own rhythms. Mm, I love that. And what is
0: one tip for working happy?
2: knowing, and honoring your own rhythms.
0: (laughs) And Katie, where can our listeners find you? They can
2: find me at katiehorwich.com. They can find me at womenagainstnegativetalk.com. They can find me all over the pages of Want Yourself, Shift Yourself Talk, and Unearth the Strength in Who You Were, all along. It is out October 3rd. I cannot wait. She is a Libra baby like myself. And you can find me all on the socials. I'm at
0: Katie Horwich everywhere. Beautiful. Well, Katie, we so appreciate you spending time with us today. I know that you have so much going on with your book and everything else in your life, but this conversation was so valuable for us. I have no doubt it will be valuable for our listeners and for anyone out there give Katie a follow, check her out. Most importantly, buy her book. It will have such an incredible impact on your life and we cannot wait for you to experience it. Thank you, Katie.
2: Thank you so much. And also they should listen to your episode of the Want Cast because holy moly, it's a good one.
0: Aw, there you go. Multiple <laughs> love We <laughs> love you. We love, love you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Full Plate, Full Cup. If you found this episode helpful, please make sure to subscribe,
1: leave a review, and share it with a friend. To learn more about the Full Plate Full Cup methodology or to work with us in a more personal way, find us on Instagram at Full Cup. that's at F-U-L-L-P-L-A-T-E, F-U-L-L-C-U-P, or online at www.FullPlateFullCup.com, www.F-U-L-L-P-L-A-T-E. F-U-L-L-C-U-P dot com.